Welcome to the 2-Minute Medicine Podcast, summarizing the latest medical studies curated and written by practicing physicians. For our full suite of daily medical study summaries and updates written by practicing doctors, please visit our website at 2minutemedicine.com to start reading new daily content right now for free. On this podcast, twice a month, we cover the latest in healthcare news and research evidence. We are your hosts, Deepti and Andrew. On today's episode, we'll start off by discussing our articles of the week. In the second half of the episode, we will look at health issues that have arisen in popular media. Please head to our website at 2minutemedicine.com to sign up for 2 Minute Medicine Plus. Now, for just $4.99 a month, this single premium offering affords subscribers ad-free reading and all of 2 Minute Medicine's content. This includes over 100 pieces of new, original monthly content, including our daily medical reports, visual abstracts, the classics in medicine series, wellness checks, and more. Our first article of the week comes from the British Journal of Sports Medicine and is entitled Dose-Response Effects of Exercise and Caloric Restriction on Visceral Adiposity in Overweight and Obese Adults, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis of Randomized Controlled Trials. Exercise and caloric restriction are important lifestyle behaviors that aid in weight loss for overweight individuals. Currently, their effect in reducing visceral fat while controlling for the weekly energy deficit created by these interventions remains unknown. As a result, the objective of the present study was to compare the dose-response relationship between exercise and caloric restriction on visceral fat loss in overweight and obese adults. Of 7,816 identified records, 40 studies were included from various databases from database inception to January 2022. Studies were included if they compared exercise or caloric restriction with relevant controls in overweight or obese adults as defined by the WHO cutoff scores for body mass index or BMI. Studies were excluded if they assessed visceral fat mass using methods other than computerized demography or CT or Magnetic Resonance Imaging, or MRI. The review was performed using PRISMA guidelines. Risk of bias was assessed using Cochrane's Risk of Bias 2 tool. Statistical analyses were performed using meta-regression. The primary outcome was a change in visceral fat measured by CT or MRI. The results demonstrated that although both exercise and caloric restriction were associated with decreased visceral fat mass, only exercise demonstrated a dose-dependent effect. However, both interventions had a dose-dependent effect on waist circumference. The study was limited by the greater proportion of included studies evaluating exercise when compared with caloric restriction, which may have undermined the effects of caloric restriction. Nonetheless, the present study supported the notion that increased exercise may decrease visceral fat and waist circumference in overweight and obese adults. Our second article of the week comes from JAMA Network Open and is entitled Performance of General Surgical Procedures in Outpatient Settings Before and After the Onset of the COVID-19 Pandemic. During the COVID-19 pandemic, guidelines from the American College of Surgeons recommended increasing surgical load performed in an outpatient setting to minimize the risk of nosocomial infection for surgical patients and to increase the number of beds available for COVID-19 patients. Several procedures have previously been shown to be feasible and safe in outpatient settings, with the same-day discharge associated with reductions in infection rates and cost, as well as improved patient satisfaction. 
This retrospective study aimed to trend the rates of outpatient general surgery procedures from 2016 to 2020 to encompass the start of the pandemic. This study included hospitals in the USA partaking in the American College of Surgeons National Surgical Quality Improvement Program and trended the 16 common general surgery procedures, including breast surgery, endocrine surgeries, and minimally invasive hernia repairs, gastric surgery, cholecystectomy, and colectomy for cancer. The evaluated outcome was the odds of outpatient surgery for each year of the study. In total, there were 988,436 patients studied. The study found that from 2016 to 2020, four procedures had clinically significant increases, including mastectomy for breast cancer, thyroid lobectomy, minimally invasive ventral hernia repair, and parathyroidectomy. These trends were also assessed between 2019 and 2020 to capture data before and after the start of the pandemic, with eight procedures having significant differences in outpatient surgery rates, including mastectomy, minimally invasive adrenalectomy, thyroid lobectomy, breast lumpectomy, and minimally invasive ventral hernia repair, minimally invasive sleeve gastrectomy, parathyroidectomy, and total thyroidectomy. Overall, this study demonstrated that the COVID-19 pandemic was associated with higher rates of outpatient surgery for some general surgery procedures, leading to potentially future studies assessing the implications of this increased outpatient surgery load. Now for the scan, the pop culture focused part of our podcast, bringing a medical eye to popular events. We'll start off by talking about Endometriosis Awareness Month. The story. March is known as Endometriosis Awareness Month, which brings attention to the condition that affects roughly 1 in 10 women of reproductive age around the world. Bindi Irwin, an Australian television personality, recently shared her struggles with endometriosis on International Women's Day. Irwin isn't the first celebrity to go public about their battle with endometriosis. Sarah Hyland, Chrissy Teigen, and Halsey are just a few notable names amongst the approximately 190 million women worldwide who are affected by the condition. What is endometriosis? Endometriosis is a condition affecting women of reproductive age when tissue that normally lines the uterus, the endometrium, is found elsewhere, such as the fallopian tubes and ovaries. The most common symptom associated with endometriosis is pain, pelvic pain, painful periods, and pain during intercourse. However, heavy menstrual cycles, fatigue, nausea, and infertility are some of the other symptoms that patients face. Treatments such as hormonal therapies, surgical removal of the aberrant tissue, pain management, and in severe cases hysterectomy can help relieve symptoms. The effects of endometriosis remain a significant burden to the individuals affected as well as to the economy and healthcare system. The condition has been known to negatively affect mental health sexual satisfaction, and social relationships in those affected. Furthermore, patients with endometriosis have been known to experience multiple comorbidities, and recently it was found that patients with the condition had an increased risk of cardiovascular events than those without. Meanwhile, the costs of care for endometriosis have been reported at anywhere from $1,000 to upwards of $20,000 per patient per year, while the annual indirect costs per patient, such as productivity loss, are estimated to be anywhere from approximately $4,500 to $14,000. The issue of diagnosis. 
Despite the vast prevalence of the condition and the painful symptoms associated, the diagnosis of endometriosis is often delayed. In fact, studies have reported that the average diagnostic delay of endometriosis is over six years. This means that individuals are living with the disease unmanaged for many years before receiving adequate treatment. One of the factors leading to delays and misdiagnosis is the wide spectrum of symptoms that the condition can cause, often leading to misdiagnosis with another chronic condition. Another issue is that laparoscopy, an invasive surgical procedure, is the gold standard for the diagnosis of endometriosis. Meanwhile, limited research into the condition and stigma has also played a role. The delay in diagnosis associated with the endometriosis is one of the many issues that have been pointed out when discussing the gender health gap, the issue of poorer health outcomes in women than in men. Next, let's talk about the cost of educational content on online med-ed. Online MedEd, previously a free online resource for medical students and trainees, is adding a paywall to their content. The educational content will now cost anywhere from $65 a month to over $400 a year to access. The news is shedding light on the financial barriers in medicine and the cost of outside resources to support learning and licensing exams. The AAMC estimates that the average debt of graduating medical students is over $200,000. Cost can be a considerable barrier to those entering the field of medicine. It is likely why individuals of lower socioeconomic status are still underrepresented in the field. A study of medical students at the University of Michigan found that race, first-generation college student status, household income, and parental education were all factors that were associated with higher levels of debt in medical school. Debt and financial constraints are not only barriers to entering medicine, but are also barriers to success once in the field, and it's been found that financial stresses and debt can negatively impact student well-being and academic outcomes. Clearly, the financial burden of medical school is a barrier for prospective students and a stressor to current trainees. Many are looking for unique solutions to address these issues by reducing the financial strain on current and future trainees. Some schools, such as NYU, are trying to address these issues by moving to a tuition-free model to ensure equitable access to medical students. Diversifying the medical system and making sure that the field is accessible to all will certainly require innovative solutions to the financial barriers that exist in the field. Next, let's look at the impact of greedflation in Canadian grocery stores. Canada's largest grocery store chain is under scrutiny for what many are calling greedflation, raising prices more than what is required by inflation. While Loblaws is reporting record earnings, Canadians aren't feeling the same success. In fact, as a result of rising food prices and economic strain, food bank usage is expected to increase by 60% in Canada this year. The role that grocery stores' prices play in food insecurity is being highlighted as a result. A person is said to experience food insecurity when they lack regular and reliable access to nutritious food, which can impact their ability to lead a healthy life. Estimates suggest that over 5 million Canadians and over 34 million Americans are food insecure. A lack of reliable access to safe and healthy food has several impacts on health outcomes. For example, food insecurity has been associated with obesity, diabetes, heart disease, poor mental health, and more. This can also have a significant impact on growth and development, so the fact that 9 million children in the United States are experiencing food insecurity is of great concern. 
In fact, studies have found that experiencing food insecurity in childhood can lead to poor health and worse functioning in adolescence. Addressing issues of food access in children through things such as food hardship relief and nutritional programs have been shown to improve health outcomes in children and reduce pediatric emergency room visits. Tackling rising grocery store prices will not only reduce financial strain on families, but will also help to improve health outcomes for all. Finally, let's look at privacy concerns that have come up with BetterHelp. BetterHelp is facing backlash and charges for sharing personal information about its clients with marketing companies. The mental health service touts itself as the largest online counseling platform in the world, making these services more accessible for people. However, the company is now being hit with a $7.8 million fine for data misuse after they were found to share private information with advertising services. Many are questioning if the recent use will impact the usage of other online mental health services. Many mental health apps and online services have proven to be successful in reducing the burden of mental illness in affected individuals. These online services also reduce financial barriers, given that services such as in-person therapy tend to cost over $100 per session. For these reasons, the usage of mental health apps has been on the rise, particularly during the COVID-19 pandemic. However, a rise in the users has also resulted in a significant increase in the number of online services, with the estimated number of mental health apps on the market currently at around 20,000. Making mental health services accessible is important for the estimated one in five Americans who experience mental illness each year, and online resources play a role in achieving this goal. However, concerns about the quality of these apps, the claims made by the producers, and now, issues of data sharing and misuse remain important barriers to the successful implementation of these services. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Two Minute Medicine Podcast. New episodes come out every other week and all of our content has been curated and written by practicing physicians. Please head to our website at twominutemedicine.com to learn more and to access all of our content, including medical study summaries, visual abstracts, excerpts from our Classics book series, which is available on Amazon, and The Scan, which is our medical newsletter. Thank you so much once again. To make sure that you don't miss any of our content, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter or Instagram at 2minmed.